welcome to the 495. I'm your host, Doug Sparks, editor-in-chief of Merrimack Valley Magazine. Happy New Year. Lou, how are you? How was, how was your New Year? We made it to 2021. Somehow we did. It was good. It was quiet, which is the way yeah. I like it. Yeah. yeah. By necessity, kind of, too. It's like a forced <laughs> forced quiet. Didn't have to force me too hard, yeah, too, yeah. too in, insistently. Yes. I was ready. Absolutely. I was, yeah. I was ready for that. I, I think I got a couple extra naps in over the holiday, which <laughs> exactly, were, were yeah. much needed after the January issue, which was... Uh, Pretty crazy and pretty intense, and a lot went into it, uh, you know, including all this stuff with Calvin Cater, who's, uh, you know, like, I don't know if you've been following this, but he's going to be fighting, uh, you know, the number two guy in the UFC for the featherweight title yeah. next weekend. And for the first time in years, this one's going to be on on regular TV. It's, I think it's going to be on CBS. So oh, everybody's really? going to be able to watch oh, this, this kid from Methuen who wrestled for the, uh, you know, Methuen High wrestling team, get out there, and and, uh, and I think he has a really good shot. Now, I saw the cover shot for the magazine, yep. and did anybody at the magazine mention how he could be Glenn's son or no. younger brother? No? no, no, that didn't come up, but uh, I, I see that. Yeah. I, it's, you're going to, Glenn Prezano is the publisher yeah. of the magazine. For people. No, no, I'm sure he's going to be very flattered. <laughs> One of them is going to be flattered <laughs> yeah, exactly. by that. Yeah. Uh, so this is our first show of 2021, and I am honored to have on the crew from Red Antler. Before I have everyone introduce themselves, and I want, you've been on before, this is the second time you've been on, but not everybody knows what Red Antler Apothecary is, so we're going to just kind of explain what that is. But the first thing I wanted to ask, I'm going to derail this right from the beginning, <laughs> is I was looking at your Instagram, and there was a picture of some pine tar soap. And the, uh, you know, the caption said something like, not everybody's going to be willing to go through the trouble of making traditional pine tar, pine tar soap. And I had to think, well, wait a minute. What, what's so difficult about making traditional pine tar soap? Melissa, you want to talk a little <laughs> bit about that? <laughs> Melissa is our production manager. Right? Okay. Almost everything that happens in the store that you get in a tin or in, a, in soap is touched by her hands almost entirely. Yeah. So go ahead. Hi, Doug. Nice Hello. to meet. Um, so we uh, we use two different kinds of pine tar, um, and what ends up happening is um, we put it all in a giant bucket, and then I stick my arm in that bucket uh, <laughs> and I hand mix it because it's uh, very thick and viscous, um, and uh, it's a bit of a process. But uh, we, you know, really believe that the two different types that we get. Um, makes for uh, a superior product okay it's it also is a little bit of a bear it will i mean melissa is a talented soap maker but it's not entry-level soap making you've got to get your temperatures and ratios right and that kind of thing you end up with a brick so i mean pine can be dangerous to work with right like is, is there a threat of burning is you have to worry about i took a class once i took a class once <laughs> with the state of massachusetts the least surprising yeah. thing I've heard in yeah, 2021 okay, so far. No, but it was it was actually with like you know the Department of Fish and Game yep. where they taught you how to use map and compass. Uh -huh. And right in the middle of this class, the guy started talking. One of the guys leading the class started talk talking about how you can like melt pine and use it to torture people. So if you're in some situation where you don't have like a, like a handgun or something, you could use pine. So I'm like, I never thought of pine as this thing that you could use as you know to make people fess up to something. <laughs> so you don't have to worry about that, right? Like, is it is there like a like an actual danger to? I mean, there's, soap can be dangerous, right? Making soap can be dangerous, right? When you're using lye and soap making is dangerous. Period. Yeah. Like, it's just, you know, it, and all the all the things that you are made out of, there are things that go into soap that eat that. Like, it will just 
take the skin right off of your bones. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, so pine tar is yeah it, it, the production of it. It's an it's a oxygen free kiln cooked production of sap into this secondary product that you're then adding into something that is already innately dangerous. Hmm. Okay, let me extend this conversation. <laughs> because I'm I'm a baseball player, and I'm old enough to have played in the wooden bat era, even in high school and then. So I use pine tar, and pine tar strikes me as a substance that is the most anti-soap substance on the planet. <laughs> so how does it end up in a soap? Well, it's the process of saponification. So turning anything into soap is uh, is a chemical process called saponification. So you're saponifying pine tar, you're saponifying fats, oils, that kind of thing. So what you get on the other side is not the same as the ingredient that went in. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like when you bake bread, you yeah. end up with, you yeah. end up, you take flour, you take water, you take yeast and the combination of those things and like the application of, you know, time and heat, you tear all this stuff apart, you end up with gluten and you've got something that's bread and pick the bread apart and turn it back into flour, you know? Lye is the oven. Lye is the oven. Okay. So uh, one of the other things I like about your, your Instagram is that you've been doing this thing recently where you introduce people from the, the staff. And we'll introduce everybody. Everybody will get to uh, say who they are. Something strikes me about that, too, which is the varied interests of the people involved at Red Antler. Uh, there are certainly professions, there are certainly organizations where you meet someone and they do this and maybe they have some, you know, hobby that's like watching football or something like that. But it seems like many of the people involved in your organization do a lot of different things. And there's yoga teachers and there's painters and musicians and uh, iron workers and, and uh, you know, all sorts. So wh why is, what is it about Red Antler that's kind of a magnet for people who, who do all these things? Oh my God, Doug, I don't know. <laughs> it's so true. You're so right. I mean, I don't, I'm not entirely sure. Does anybody have a better well, answer for that? I, mean, I don't know. I, I feel like, um, this is I, Jen. I'm Jen, by the way. Um, I also, um, founded Hive and Forge with Rachel. Um, so I, I feel like it's just the love of small business and working together towards something that, is more meaningful um, and gratifying, um, but especially when it comes to the challenges. And and I mean, working together has just, I feel like that's why this team has stayed together for a while too, is because we've worked together really well as a team. We've, we've created um, another store together and, and, I, and, and Red Antler has gone larger um, since I joined the team. And I just feel like when you see that type of progress, um, I don't know, I guess it, it doesn't really matter your background and like what you're doing. But I mean, I never thought I would join Red Antler Apothecary years ago when I was working for the mill. Um, but it's it's been really amazing. And I've learned a lot about um, stuff that I didn't think that I would learn about when it comes to natural skin care and stuff. But. Yeah, you know, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson used to complain middle of the 19th century about the people becoming too specialized. And he would say it's like a, a, a man just becomes an elbow or a man just becomes a fist or, or you know, like you become this thing. And like, and he was, he was even back then saying, we're losing the generalist. 
we're losing the people who have some knowledge of herbs and some knowledge of medicine and some knowledge of art and some you know kind of creative stuff and can balance the books and do all these other things too and it just you know it made me it made me wonder like is there something in the spirit of red antler that is also like you know going back to this traditional way of being more of a generalist i think i could speak to that a little bit I think that it belies a certain neophile, like it, being interested in new stuff hmm. means that you got two things in common. One, you're curious. And I think that that curiosity is self-fulfilling. Like if you're into something and I'm into something, well, how do you get into that? And you can see these sort of like over like the process of being a nerd about something and gaining a little bit of information, as soon as you've sort of got that little nugget of knowledge and you crack it open and start to like tease those pieces apart, it always leads someplace else. So you get these fractal branches of interests. Um, and secondly, when you get curious about stuff and try things new, you start by being bad at it and sucking at stuff. Like when you fail initially, to then take that failure and fail better in the future it makes a more resilient person. And so like people who are good at being able to like start stuff, be self starters are people who are curious and capable of like doing things bad and then get mm. better at it. Mm. And so as a team, like when you look across the table and go like, I respect you and I implicitly trust your ability to like level up with me because I've seen you do it in so many other applications that you have those sort of like core faculties. You know, I think that's, central to our team. It's interesting that you see this in terms of newness and curiosity. One of the things I was going to ask you about later in the show, but I'm going to jump into it right now because you bring it up, is this balance between, uh, you know, what's new and what you're going to be curious about in, in tradition, like a lot of what you're doing, traditional soap making. Like I bought a razor from you guys that was made in the 1950s because as you explained to me, it was, you know, there was something about the steel that makes that better. It's fantastic. I still use it. So there's the, like, I'm just wondering about that balance between traditional ways, herbalism, looking at herbs for health and maybe looking at plants for health and this kind of curiosity and newness that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Is this, is it, you know, I, I guess if I was, I was surprised that you see it in terms of the spirit of newness, because so much of, of what you're doing is like, you know, looking back, looking back at the way people used to yeah, do certain things, but I like think soap it is, maker. It's sort of, I think that we've lost so much of some of the traditional stuff that it almost feels new. Hmm. You know, when we're using, um, when we're using traditional tools to do some things are just are the best still for certain applications especially because they tend to be less resource some of the old tools tend to be less resource sucking and a little bit uh better environmentally sometimes not but sometimes yes so and you know i think that we've lost you can do a lot of that stuff small scale i think that we've lost a lot so that when we're doing things the old world way it sure feels new and i think that we've got an insatiable audience who wants to learn also or at least wants to be part of a community that is conscious of what is good about old things um and i think and i think you know and that kind of also goes back to connect your last question how we 
how we bec- how we became a team and how other people come to join us is I think because that what's old is new, what's new is old sort of balance is very much a culture for us. And that is part of the reason that like Ken, right? Him doing this mirror wise. Ken, right here, sorry. Sorry, Mel. <laughs> Holding a tiny dog still maybe. Um, you know, he's the owner of Serpentine Books. He's still the owner of Serpentine Books. He might be the most knowledgeable person I've ever met in my life. We call him the youngest old man ever. <laughs> um, about tools of in, in, antiquities and um, and obviously Serpentine is a book, is primarily books. But, you know, he's he's our manager for the Hive and Forge in Salem. Um, and, and of course, Serpentine Books is there. And so the reason, one of the reasons that Ken is such an immaculate fit for our team is that conversation that we just had. It's that like, oh, you've got to, I think to make it with Red Antler, you've got to be awfully special. And if you are, then we're in it for life hmm. together because we'll pull for each other and encourage and, you know, that kind of thing, but. Sure, so before we introduce everyone, uh, you know, there are people listening who don't know what Red Antler Apothecary is, they don't know what Hive and Forge is. What What is Red Antler? Red Antler Apothecary is an herbal pharmacy. That's the simplest thing. Hmm. We grow as much as we can of our ingredients and process here in-house at mill number five and then make soap as well as herbal products and other topicals and um, uh, anything that you would do with herbs, tea, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm an herbalist and most of our folks have some herbal studying under their belt to some degree. Um, and that's the, we've got mill number five store We've got two different growing locations in the Merrimack Valley, and we've got the, um, we're inside the Hive and Forge in Salem, Mass. And the Hive and Forge is a sister store. Uh, Jen and I co-founded the Hive. Okay, but you have things in the store other than um, things relating to herbal medicine. You have soaps and you have... Yes, in in the Red Antler store, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, and, and just to clarify, Hive and Forge is, is what? Say that again? Hive and Forge is what? What is Hive and Forge for people who don't know? Sure. Hive and Forge is a collective of curators and small makers from the New England area. We're at uh, somewhere about we're 50. We're involved with 50 different small makers and curators. And we have a store in Salem and a store in Lowell. Okay, and if people have the January issue of Merrimack Valley Magazine, there's an article on a Manchester, New Hampshire artist named Karen Jerzyk, who does photography that you can purchase at, at Hive and Forge. How did you uh, how did you get involved with Karen? Um, I'll take that one, um, Jen. Um, so I worked for Mill Number Five for a while. I ran the A Little Bizarre Market. Um, on Saturdays, and um, that's how I first met Karen Jerzyk. I was putting on one of the oddity marketplaces, and 
Karen had signed up for it. I had I had met her, and then um, I mean, she continued to be a, a vendor pretty pretty consistently at that market for a while. Um, and during the time that I was running the A Little Bazaar was when Kevin Forge became a thing. Um, I had worked at the mill and we opened up that store at the same time. So my relationships with some of these folks um, helped us get our members into Hive and Forge. And um, Karen Jurzik came on as a pop-up, you know, maybe like six months into the shop being open out in Salem. Um, and after a few pop-ups, I had just, you know, Karen does so well out in Salem and has also um, vended other events in that area too, that I I asked if she wanted to, to be a part of the shop more permanently and she said, absolutely. So um, yeah, and she, she also uh, has a studio space with a friend of mine that I've known for a really long time um, up in Manchester, New Hampshire. So I've sort of known her for a bit and she became a bud. Okay. Uh, do you mind going around introducing yourselves? Okay, I'll start since I was just talking. Um, my name is Jennifer Simone. I co-founded Hive and Forge with Rachel. Um, and I also ran Badman Shop that was at mill number five for a short bit as the storefront. Um, and is also in Hive and Forge. I do a lot of um, I do illustration on animal skulls and a lot of uh, natural history pieces and the taxidermy and, and that type of aspect that's in the store um, came from from me and my friend Kim Morrison of Primal Adornments. Um, yeah. yeah, I remember one time I was out hiking and I found a, a beaver skull in the woods. I tried to, you know, to fob it oh. off on you guys. I, my wife just wanted it out. I remember that message. Yeah, it was the most disgusting thing because it still had like the skin hanging off. No. It smelled so bad. And then the, yeah. the, the real moment of horror was even that. The smell was terrible. My, my, my car smelled horribly when I drove it home. But, I, you know, it's like I had to bring it home. Right. Yeah. But then yeah. I, what I did is I was going to like put it in some bleach. I figured uh, maybe you're supposed to put it in bleach to disinfect it. And these two big, weird looking worms just crawled Ugh. right out of the eye sockets. And it was like I was like, oh, like like nothing phases me. Nothing like turns my stomach at all. But something about those weird like death worms. I don't know what they were crawling out of its skull. Like it just I mean, really, really shook me. I'm sure. <laughs> I still have it, by the way. If, if anybody, I'll oh, sign it. I'll sign it. We'll we'll donate the money to, to charity or something. It's gnarly. Doing that type of job and processing skulls is I've done it before in the past, and just using like a maceration technique, which is just water, hmm. and it's disgusting. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I'm glad that I know I've since I've been doing it since about 2013. I've like created a pretty great network of folks that I, I buy stuff through, um, some since 2014 that I've stayed connected to. Um, and that makes my job a lot easier. <laughs> so uh, just being able to, to buy from them and supporting them and getting ethic ethically sourced um, bones and skulls um, just easily without having to process is exactly what I want to do. Sure. <laughs> so, we do have taxidermy workshops in store, we though. We do have that, yes. Okay. I want to learn. All right. 
Cool. Face your fears, Doug. <laughs> I, I still have the skull. The, the teeth went missing at some point. Like, what, what animal would steal the, the teeth? And the teeth are what make it interesting, I think, because they have these big, like, it's like iron oh, on yeah. their teeth, right? Like I mean, the beaver skulls, yeah, their teeth are so prominent, and I've had a bunch of them before. Yeah. All right, so Corey. Corey, we know from 119 Gallery back in the day. Yeah. It's been a while. How's it going, man? Who are you? For people uh, who don't know. I do, I do all the shipping for Red Antler. Uh, so if you've ordered something from the website, uh, like 99% chance, I pulled it from the shelf and wrapped it myself and wrote you a handwritten note and, uh, you know, stuck in a free few samples. So I, I do all that. Corey's also bringing us forward into this new decade um, by heading up our, uh, which doesn't seem like a big deal probably to a lot of people, but. For us, um, he's working on the labeling, the branding, the packaging. We're really um, moving up in the world in packaging and labeling and leaning into compostable, sustainable, renewable stuff. And Corey's leading that. So, and it's not something that uh, any of the rest of us really have the technology know how to do. Mm. That's pretty exciting. He also has a side hustle, obviously, because everybody does on the team. Yeah. Which is, for people who don't know? Uh, I, uh, I run an Instagram, an art Instagram account, and uh, it just documents all the art stuff I make. I, I do visual art. I do video editing. Uh, I'm in a weird uh, wrestling art band. <laughs> uh, I make T-shirts, small goods, stickers. Yeah. A wrestling <laughs> art band? Is it like, like yeah, Kaiju yeah. Big Battle? How did that happen? No, is it like Kaiju Big Battle? You know, Kaiju no, Big Battle? No, no, no. There's a, there's a, a, a gentleman uh, who lives in Detroit who makes rap beats, and I make, uh, I make videos to his music. Okay. Yeah, so uh, uh, kind of like the, the weird front man who doesn't say anything, but makes, makes you a bunch of stuff. All right. Cool. Rick? Yeah, uh, so... Corey's sort of the Luigi to my Mario today. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, we, we've known each other a really, really long time. Mm -hmm. He and I have worked together for years, over a decade. Um, uh, I guess my biggest claim to fame under the Red Antler umbrella would be uh, that it started in the house that I live in, in my kitchen, and um, I have uh, built all of the things and carried all the heavy loads so that every time we've expanded, which is like all the time, um, you know, I'm sort of a carpenter slash tack animal. That's my, that's He's my carpenter. Yeah. Uh, Rick has built almost every, all of our fixtures. Very cool. The, yeah. the best part about it is finding some piece of junk and retrofitting it or chopping it up and making it you know just almost everything that we have is reclaimed or been processed in some you know some way and like like everybody else here i also have plenty of other side things that i'm interested in you know large music and, uh, you know being really really terrible magic gathering card player <laughs> Uh, and all, all basically is there money point, in that is there money in, in being a terrible magic the gathering card player i mean I'm, yeah i'm just need some place I, I don't have very many vices doug 
but you know that's where I flex, and <laughs> the uh, and I basically have a part-time job as a dungeon master. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We'll, we'll do a sideshow on dungeon mastering in the age of COVID. Oh, yeah. oh God. No. Well, let's all love that. Yeah. All right. Who's next? Kenny. Hello. Um, Hello. I'm Kenny. So I'm the, um, I manage Hive and Forge, the sister shop to Red Antler. I'm uh, in the sales plot specifically. I also man the website, and I also do all the shipping orders for Hive and Forge. So all the stuff that goes on there, and I manage the website and whatnot. Um, and then I also, on the side, I also, as Rachel mentioned, I am the owner of Serpentine Books, which I have now mentioned. I am now based in Hive and Forge, both locations. I originally started in the mill. I had a shop for two and a half years, which is how I met Rachel in the first place. Um, and then from like me being in there, the friendship just kind of blossomed. And then. Um, when they were opening Hive and Forge, it was at a time like that. I was like, yeah, no, I'll definitely be part of it. And then from there, it just kind of, my role just kind of grew from there. Um, but yeah, I know I have a, it's a lot of fun. And I'm also the designated painter. <laughs> That's true. The, the what? I think there's a little feedback. Oh, he also does a lot of uh, painting. And okay. He's a handyman as well. And he's jumped in and helped out um, in a pinch, especially at the beginning of COVID. Um, when, you know, Hive and Forge was shut down for a bit. Um, basically, Ken and I turned into the shipping department. This was before Corey came on. And um, and so he, he helped out a lot in the little uh, Red Antler shop for a while, too. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Next. All right. Um, my name is Melissa Federchuk. Um, I've been with Red Antler for a little over five years now. Um, they snatched me up uh, out of the Starbucks gutter right out of college. <laughs> um, and I've done a, a little bit of everything, you know, over the past couple of years. Um, started out as their road warrior, um, going out to all the summer farmers markets, handling that scheduling, um, all the special events that we do uh, offsite. Um, and then... Uh, got my beekeepers license through the Merrimack Valley Beekeepers Association. So um, I'm usually the one out uh, in the bee yard here in Lowell, taking care of the girls, uh, collecting the honey and harvesting, um, checking on them throughout the winter. We've got, you know, two hives going over the winter. So uh, we'll go out and feed them as soon as we get a warm day. Um, and now I do production um, and I'm in there pretty much full time. Um, which is great, uh, and I get a lot of fun with that. Um, I remember the first day that I looked at, you know, one of my farmer's markets tables, and looked at all the soaps that were laid out and kind of had this proud moment of being like, oh, I made all these. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of cool. Um, all right. Yeah. Cool, last but not least. Um, and I'm Rachel, and I, uh, I started the, I had the concept for this in for Red Antler specifically in 2013, although the original concept certainly wasn't what it's become. Um, but that's kind of the glory of having so many people involved. And I think that um, my, I think that, um, I think I probably always expected 
the things would, you know, that uh, we'll start here and I know that I want to do this, but that it would evolve as more people became involved and that kind of thing. I wasn't ever sure totally where we were going, but I knew that what I wanted to do was um, spearhead an effort to have an alternative to the ecologically unsound and ineffective personal and herbal and non-herbal products that are out there. So, um, you know, and I wanted to have a brand that was, that is potentially going to compete with some of those guys that don't, um, that don't really make good on their marketing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, this leads into something that I was going to, to ask about, um, I've recently read in the business press of all places that there was this unintended effect from Amazon. Everybody knew that Amazon was going to shut down like the independent booksellers. That was the idea. It was going to wipe out the independents. Uh, isn't quite what seems to have happened. Amazon seems to have really hurt places like Barnes and Noble mm -hmm. and the independent bookstores are coming back and filling this sort of gap. Do mm -hmm. you, do you sense that? Do you sense that in, in, in some ways this whole world the way we have it right now with everything on the internet gives you an opportunity to do the sort of work you do i think you know i think ken can definitely speak from the perspective of of books and you know a lot of his books are antiquity books but hmm. um i think that small business is i think covid is having an impact that we won't fully understand for a couple of years um, that well, there's some things that are going to happen that we don't know about yet. But I think that uh, the cons there is a, lar a large portion of the consumer that is concerning themselves with that. And that it would not surprise me if small businesses in general, especially ones that feel and are genuine, have some of the best years of their careers in the near future. You must have, as, as, a, as a team, as a group, you must have a unique perspective on how people are responding to COVID because people are coming to you with, with health concerns and they're talking about their mood and they're talking about their health. Like what do you, what's, you have the finger on the pulse. What are you seeing? Where are people at? Um, I don't think it's new or unexpected. I think you've got some really, probably some good indicators of it yourselves. Um, I think mental health is at risk like it hasn't been before. The isolation and the fear has entered levels of exhaustion. Mm. I think also that now we've gotten accustomed to the concept of COVID and there's a little bit less knee-jerk reaction even though the numbers are higher than ever. Um, and that there is that we're recognizing that some people have a very severe response and then a lot of people are sick, are just sick. And that there still needs to be care for the people who are just sick. So we've been responding a lot to those folks, the people who need some symptom relief and need to be talked through um, the, um, you know, the long hauler syndromes that, that are being discussed now. And, you know, we'll be watching the research around long hauler symptoms 
um, and to see what the herbal response is and how we can support our community through, uh, through figuring out how to help them. Do you find people who are torn right now because there's, there's, there's a lot of concern for the community, doing things for small businesses, doing things for other people, and then it can sometimes be hard to kind of, oh, I need to sort of take care of myself. I need to do self-care. Is that an issue where people are so, like, out-focused, or is it an issue in reverse where people become so much about, like, oh, I have to look after myself, F everybody else? Are you seeing that, that kind of tension in people as they come into the store? I mean, anybody who want to jump in on this, in my opinion, no, hmm. not really. Maybe they wouldn't be here. Maybe, yeah. maybe, I mean, they must be there. They must be out there. Yeah. I don't think so. I think we're seeing overwhelming selflessness hmm. in most cases. Yeah. When you uh, when we did the show before Red Antler was on, it was just you, uh, Rachel, and, and Rick, and it was a very different world. You were in here in the studio with me. Uh, and, you know, you were kind of thinking of your plans for 2020, not knowing what what lay ahead. Right. So what was it like for you? What was 2020 like for you as a as a store and as an organization? <laughs> you're poking me. Why are you poking me? I, I just ahead. wanted to, to start by saying when things really started to fall off, we were when the shipping lanes were shutting down, we couldn't get certain basic materials we were making hand sanitizer when you couldn't get it anywhere we were making soap so we were immediately considered essential and every everywhere else was locking down you know march the spigot turned off for everybody else we showed up to work so we have there was never any period of downtime for red amber period and so i, I feel like um we've had a very uh, particular window in that we weren't sort of in our bubble looking out in the world. We were out in the world and finding that it was empty and have had to be some of the first people who were like figuring out, well, we've got a mask up. We've got to figure out how to keep ourselves safe, how to triage certain things, how to be able to uh, uh, make sure that we're practicing sort of universal precautions with the COVID thing on it and uh, have seen these things change in phases over time and it has made us really i feel really really capable of navigating in a way that we would not have been if we were sort of opening up on the same timeline as like regular retailers and that's given us a pretty interesting perspective and makes us really capable of helping our particular clients yeah. Who's um? Is, is there anyone not that we're not seeing today that's an important kind of key player in the organization? I think you, you guys were supposed to have a, a regular staff meeting today, and we just happened to schedule during the staff meeting, which is why we were able to have uh, everybody involved. But but who do we not see who we might want to know about? Well, you don't see um, Suze Cromwell, who does our who manages our subscription. She also is Lowell Film Girl. Mm -hmm. She's does she's in charge of the Lowell Film. She's the founder of the Lowell Film Collaborative. Um, and Suze does our subscription. She curates soap for uh, an elite group of clientele. And they get, you know, special things that come out of the kitchen from Melissa and all that. Um, you are not seeing uh, Bruce. And Bruce you would see at farmer's markets. He's also, he's the yoga teacher and also a drum teacher. 
Um, and um, you're not seeing the... And a nerd. And a nerd. <laughs> actually, actually, Bruce is also a nerd. <laughs> I mean, you're all nerds. And um, uh, you're not seeing the famous Francie Slater, uh, former, the f- co-founder of Mill City Grows, who retired from Mill City, Lydia Sisson and Francie Slater, retired from Mill City Grows, um, yeah, I think like about a year ago or so, maybe a little more. And, um, and Francie came to us and she is our apothecary farm manager. And she is in charge of figuring out how much we're gonna grow in order to meet our needs for in-store and for customers uh, and how much land that takes and how we're going to do that without toxic pesticides and uh, land agreement uh, agreements and arrangements. And Francie is also um, working on her own herbal education. And we hope someday we'll figure out how to get her a little bit behind the herbal counter as well as in the fields. Yeah. Although those things might sort of jive, but that's we're missing Kathy, who's full time at the hive, uh, not full time at the hive, but uh, who works at the hive, and um, who else are we missing? That's it. It's only other than ones like Kathy and Kathy. Yep. Some other artists that work at the hive. Okay, so here's an oddball philosophical question. Maybe you'll find it annoying, but I, I have to ask. Um, what does it mean to be healthy? And there's a reason why I ask this, right? Is because I think the way you define that is going to kind of change the nature of, of the path that you lead people down, right? What does it mean to be healthy? I mean, there are some people healthy means having six-pack abs, right? And it means, it means a certain set of things. To you and to your vision, if you're going to give something to make, you know, to make somebody feel better, what is that thing? What is that goal? What does a healthy person look like? I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to take that bait. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Because that is, here's the thing that I'm going to, here's a cliffhanger. (laughs) That means something different for absolutely everybody. Hmm. And I can't tell two people without hearing their story, what it means to be healthy. And my story of what it means to be healthy is different than theirs. So I think that it's a mix of what they can do. I'm a big fan of harm reduction, um, as well as uh, what's available and what their resources can support uh, their own goals. I mean, I think that's a really mixed and it's a you know combination of, of mental and physical. And I think that's going to be different for everybody. I think even that answer to that question would be answered differently by everybody here. I'm not sure that we can answer that from a red antler perspective. Sure. I would love it back into your lap and say, if health is a, if health can be synonymous with health equals success, what does success mean to him? Hmm. Right? That it's, it's, I don't think it's a thing as much as it's a band of tolerances. I think you said um, uh, some people think a healthy person has six-pack abs. Get them to go out and close down a bar at 2 in the morning and then ask them at 8 a.m. 
how healthy they feel. Mm -hmm. Those six-pack abs will not have gone away, but are they in a situation where they're feeling like their body was a, uh, treated like a temple the night before, <laughs> right. you know? Are uh, they healthy? So I think there's some ba boundaries that you have to put on, on that. Sure. I mean, I think you would normally be considered part of, you know, I mean, the, the term back in the day would be like holistic health, right? Uh, you know, like this idea that, that maybe, uh, you know, health isn't, uh, you know, just the ability to climb mountains faster than everybody else, uh, but also to have a creative side, to have time to read books, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, to, to write, to paint, to make some music, to, you know, uh, render a skull so that you can you can do some some artwork with it and to maybe smell nice and feel good about yourself and feel happy and be able to participate in a world that, that you consider you know in, in a way that that is meaningful to you we, we present like rachel said you know it, it's resources that are available that allow each individual to glean from their life that sense of health right what we kind of do, what our thing is, is that we provide an option. You know, that like having sort of a, an, an, an herbal approach to certain things that would be considered distinctly allopathic only to be able to address gives people an opportunity to make choices for themselves about what healthy is for them. You know, to being able to reduce the consumption of you know, some people are blessed with the absolute luck of incredible physical well-being, but how do they present unto the world? That you know, are you using styrofoam and plastic and saran wrap with reckless abandon? You know, maybe health to you is about the health of your community, the health of your family, the health of the correct environment around you, and being able to just supplement some things that are just disposable petrochemical, you know, earth-murdering nonsense that is ubiquitous, how do you make, well, what? we find people walk in all the time and are just kind of like, I don't even know where to start. Mm -hmm. I want to be more ecologically sound. I want to be healthier. But like, there were all, there's all this static. There are all these noisy voices out there and everyone's telling me if I'm not 100%, I'm the problem. And I think we provide a, an approachable opportunity for people to come in and say like, where should I start? What, what can I even do? And one of the best, uh, I'm going to walk away from the camera and come back. Okay. <laughs> how, how long is he going to take? So, uh, well, so oh, there we minutes. go. Then Melissa, who uh, <laughs> has done the absolutely terrible job of having, when I say terrible, like the product's not terrible, the job of creating a vat of super hot beeswax and then soaking these massive sheets of canvas in it to then cut up and use to replace a yeah like being able to like wrap things in um is a replacement for you use one of these things right to Put your lunch in, put a sandwich in, etc. If you use that, you know, every week that you go to, you bring lunch to work for a month, right? Here are 20 Ziploc bags that don't go in the garbage <laughs> or saran wrap things that don't go in the garbage. And 
it's an option for people who don't even know that it's out there to say like, here's one thing that I can do that can reduce my footprint. Yeah, you're interesting. Like, and, and one of the things we did talk about last time you're on the show was this sort of education component mm-hmm. to, to Red Antler. You go in there, you get some kind of education in something. And you also <laughs> offer classes, right? You mentioned the in the class before. Are there other classes? Are there other uh, things that we should be aware of coming up? How do we how do people find out about these these things? Not until not until after we're out of masks. OK, and we could do some things online, but truth be told, it's, you know, some some folks are really great at online teaching. Um, I we're waiting till the masks can. Well, until at least that we feel good about coming to class in a mask, mm-hmm. like we can all wear continue to wear masks and, you know, you have to you learn how to soap, make, make soap anyway. But, um, you know, right right now in person teaching of things seems um, frivolous uh, that it would have to be online and uh, and I think that I want to feel really good that whoever is teaching those classes and it could be you know any of us Melissa um, is is a big part of soap making class and um, that kind of thing. So, you know, whoever's teaching those classes is able to address the issues directly and make sure that the people taking them le- are learning properly and are getting the message. And some of that stuff is a little bit um, dangerous. The herbal stuff is not, but, uh, you know, we're looking forward to a day when students and participants can come and take classes directly in the apothecary garden and learn how to process things that are coming up out of the earth. How do you grow it? How do you grow it the best? How do you process it properly? Because that matters. And then what do you do with it? And so that's gotta be, in my eyes, I'm an old fashioned girl in some ways. And that's got that's gotta be in person. Yeah, I, I learned from I learned stuff from you guys. I grow lemon balm in my garden too. And but I did not know that it begins to lose its its healthful properties over time so that was kind of new to me and i'm getting this from your instagram you posted something on instagram people don't realize that lemon balm will will fade it will start to lose these properties uh so you want to get the fresh stuff if you're going to be using it for the sort of things that people use lemon balm for so i continue to learn and i appreciate you uh for that before i turn it over to lou because i know he has questions um can i just go to mill five right for people who don't know can i just go to mill five right now and visit you and if so what are your hours yeah, you can. It's um, you can visit us in Salem or Lowell. Um, S- Salem. Good. Okay. Um, so the hours at Mill Number Five right now are only Saturday and Sunday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Um, and if folks are more into going to the Salem store, uh, we're open Fridays from noon to six, and then Saturday and Sunday from 11 to five. So we definitely, uh, the mill brought down the Friday hours going into the slow months and we just decided to to stick to weekends out in Salem because it does slow down a lot during the winter there. Okay, 
Lou, do you have any questions for our guests? Yeah, I have a couple. Rachel, I want to go back because you just touched on it a little bit. You talked earlier about making all your own ingredients, which was kind of a surprise to me. And I'm wondering how much of the task is actually growing the ingredients and how would you do it differently from what what people, you know, weekend gardeners might do? How difficult, how much care does there need to be taken in actually growing the ingredients? So the... Um well, yeah, uh, the quantity is quite a bit larger, as Jim was just saying. Anyway, listen, I'm answering questions because I'm leaving a gap in <laughs> he, silence. He said Rachel. He did actually say my name. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so if anybody wants to jump in at any time. The, uh, to be clear, there are some things. Everybody resists. There's some things. <laughs> Can we <have> Melissa? <laughs> <laughs> to be clear. I saw her eyes go. <laughs> um, there, are, there are some things that we don't grow because um there you know it's we can't grow uh cinnamon bark we cannot grow coconut trees and yep. then pull down the coconuts and make coconut oil <laughs> so we're not doing that but we are going through local distributors we use um what's christine who's christine word for christine lynch the oil company oh, Catania. Uh, Catania. we use Catania out in air um, they're a local distributor of fine cooking oils, which is Jedwards and Braintree. So, you know, we're still keeping our keeping our um, distribution channel as short as possible on the things that we don't grow. In terms of the things that we do grow, um, we it's not so. Yes, it's about the care. It's about the not using certain pesticides yes using other things that are more sustainable and definitely the volume and also the ingredients are probably a little bit unexpected so a, a, a household gardener is growing fruits and vegetables and maybe some kitchen culinary herbs we're growing arnica for example mm -hmm. which is an, you know an arthritis herb first and foremost as, among other things all right, and let me, th uh, for our last question, let me throw some bait at you again that you can decide to take or not to take here. And I'll, do, I'll start the disclaimer stream here and say I'm not looking for medical advice and I'm not looking for medical research, but what is an apothecary's role in the COVID crisis? And I, you talked about some symptom relief. Uh, do we, can you help with uh, immunity response? Can you help with general health that goes into this? What's the, what role does the apothecary play in response to COVID? An apothecary actually, so at the, in the spring, I want to say it was June, no, it was May, uh, I followed my mom up to um, an island off the coast of Maine, where, which is where I learned quite a bit of what I know um, and what in, inspired me to, to start um, is the people uh, on this island where my grandparents lived off the coast of Maine. And while I was up there, I took a an intensive with uh, Matthew Wood, who is a, in the herbal community, a, um, uh, a, a demi of sorts, you know, he's, he's incredibly well-educated, has been practicing for, I won't age him, so I'm not gonna guess how many years, <laughs> but in any case, and has published a number of highly respected evidence-based herbal practice books with very, very narrow topics. Um, and so 
Um, and so the intensive uh, was on how are we going to respond to this unknown virus? And uh, what we do know, what we did know at that time, which wasn't a ton, and um, things like um, how do you respond to the, you probably don't even remember this, but there was this fear that elderberry creates a cytokine storm or cytokine storm, uh, which is not true. And, you know, that kind of thing, dispelling myths and making sure that you're processing for specific phytochemicals that are going to aid and support um, the body's response and the creation of antibodies and that kind of thing. And there's a, there is in fact, just like there is, there is a vaccine, there's a body of knowledge that allowed us to land at the vaccine in the amount of time that we did. There is also a long body of knowledge of evidence-based herbalism that allowed us to respond to the other stuff, the symptoms and the people who were not going to have to be intubated and that kind of thing. So I uh, made sure that the buck stopped with me uh, and that I knew what we were going to do herbally and that we were doing that and that we were responding to people that reached out for help um, and that we were able to, re to, I would say, react at least for the community. So, and moving forward, I think, um, I think we learned a lot about um, herbal health preparedness and we might certainly adjust our own um, plans on how we respond in the future to the next global pandemic, <laughs> which I'm hoping isn't ever going to be a thing with my in my lifetime. But sure. Are, are you optimistic as, as a group? Are you optimistic for uh, for the coming year? Do you feel the, some people are really like, ah. I mean, I'm, I am, we made it through this year, so it's only gonna get better. Yeah. <laughs> we are still here. We opened up another Hive and Forge store. I mean, we didn't really, when we look back on 2020 and look at our numbers and how we did, we didn't have a bad year. Hmm. Um, it was, there was a, plenty of obstacles, but um, I think that this you know this year is going to be really good i feel good about it i mean you've only got two options to be positive or be negative so why why, yeah. why choose negative choose <laughs> to be positive. i, I know it, that that's hard for some people yeah. i think people are drawn to that too is that like part of the reason that we did not have a bad year is that our community did throw their lot in with us mm -hmm. they said you can roll your eyes all you want, guys, but I always say we are not selling a product, we're selling a reputation. We are, we are only as good as our word and we're only as good as our knowledge base. And I think people, we've proven time and time again how much we care about that. And people showed up to support us, they kept the lights on. And like, you know, people, buff. like, I just saw you in January. Why are you buying soap again? You know, in March. <laughs> And it's because they wanted us to be able to be on the other side of this and function enough to be able to produce the kinds of, you know, when Rachel says like symptom management stuff, like people aren't being intubated. Well, how do we deal with like something that's going to work synergistically with your like albuterol inhaler, your rescue puffer to get you to a place where you're not using your rescue puffer as regularly because you're supplementing, you know, uh, that, that immune response with other, with other things. Um, so yeah, uh, 
it, it was it's hard not to be optimistic because people saved us and i feel like we have a we have to survive because we have to make good on that social contract that we have come into to to, to go forward and do the mission that people have allowed us to be here to fulfill if we hadn't had a website though i'll tell you uh the hive hadn't had a what did not have a website ken built a website for the hive in like a week and um two, he's like two days <laughs> two days, <Sorry. laughs> two days. Um, if we hadn't had a website both stores would have failed what's the address the website address for people hiveandforge.com and redantlerapothecary.com Okay, and if people want to, to speak with one of you and get some advice and to kind of uh, get a little bit of that, it, you know, maybe they can't make it Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, is there a, you know, there's an email, a way for people to get in touch with you? What's the best way to, uh, to reach out? There's a contact section. Um, we're on Google. Uh, you can find a phone number, an email. They definitely, there's, there's ways of getting a hold of us pretty easily through Facebook, Instagram, everything. Hello at Red Antler. When, when it comes to consultation stuff, consultations tend to be more involved. They're sort of like talking about you know, what is going on with you, uh, you know, what medications you're on, what's your blood pressure like? Have you had a blood panel done with your PCP that is saying that you are intolerances or below in your vitamin D, et cetera, et cetera. And so like, that's kind of hard to have over the phone conversation. We typically like to start an email. So when we're talking, we have something that's kind of like in black start great well we've reached the end of our time together and i really appreciate you you uh coming on and and uh this has been great i, I look forward to uh stopping by soon and and uh getting some some new soaps i'm overdue awesome for sure awesome. so anyways thank you very much thank right. you very much Bye. thanks lou Bye. Right. <laughs> take care thanks take guys care. thanks guys bye